On today's episode of Unqualified Analysis, we have a quick Monday Night Football recap for you guys before we dive into week 9 of the college football season. Afterwards, the committee has finally come out with their first rankings, so we're going to dive straight into that before we go into week 10's games. We have some new faces and some potential snubs in the rankings. Finally, we're going to break down some of the biggest games of this upcoming week, including one of the classics, LSU versus Alabama. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be fun for <laughs> Should be LSU a great side. one this year, man. Should be a great one this year. <laughs> and we had the final games of the World Series. Who won? Stay tuned to find out. I, I Seeing as this comes out two days after the series has ended, I mean, I'm not sure who knows at this point, right? I think we're breaking the news here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is breaking news. This is basically right after Game 7. We are live from the field in Houston. <laughs> it's weird. There's no one here. I think because Game 7 didn't happen. I think they locked up the field a couple days ago, you know. But anyways... Let's get into oh, it. Well. Let's get into it. On to Monday Night Football. We had the Giants versus Chiefs, and the Chiefs won this game. This was a much closer game than the Chiefs ought to have let it get to, and it is just absolutely, absolutely apropos that the game ends with Danny Dimes fumbling the ball. Could you have asked for a better script? I mean, no. It seems like a pretty predictable way for it to end. I feel like this is kind of how, like, I think we both kind of envisioned it going this way. Like, the Chiefs haven't really blown out anyone this year I think maybe we thought there'd be a few more points scored but Tyree Kill was the only one that had a good game in this one I mean 12 receptions he gobbled up like over a third of the targets in this game just silly but I mean credit shouts out to Danny Corroded Dimes and the smiling clapper Jason Garrett man I mean less than I mean just uh, 300 yards on the dot actually 18 first downs against the defense that was absolutely getting shredded by everyone. Everyone could come get it. Everyone could score as many points as they wanted to until the Giants came to came to town and scored 17. I mean, I get it that they don't have a whole lot of weapons, but man, Danny Dimes, you got to come into this game and light it up, man. This is not good in his uh his resume. Hey man, for what it's worth, I mean, their defense actually did a really good job of slowing down the Chiefs, which is one of the best offenses in the league. So you do have to give some credit there. But I do agree, their offense is looking horrible right now. They Is it safe to say that Jason Garrett might not be a good option as a coach these days? Because nothing's really <laughs> happening on his front. I think literally everyone except for uh, Gettleman knew that he was a bad offensive coordinator before he got the job with the Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, with the with the Giants, right? You know, you know what I mean. But either way, like no one thought he should be calling plays. Like he was calling plays that were outdated when he was with the Cowboys. That's why he gave up play calling in the first place to Kellen Moore. I mean, what what? Why did you think this was a good idea, Gettleman? But as long as that guy is there. I don't know if any of those guys are going anywhere. Like, I think Daniel Jones stays there because of the ego. Uh, Joe Judge stays in place because of, I mean, it's kind of him and Dave Gettleman. Are it's still early for him, at it's least. True. This is only, what, his second season? So, it is only his second uh, he's season. He's got a little bit of time. But if Gettleman gets the axe, I think none of them are going to be able to survive. Because, I mean, just look at the way it, yeah, just look at the way it turns out. Basically, every GM wants to bring in fresh new slate, their own head coach, their own quarterback, no matter what, basically. So yeah, if that's a death, a death sentence if Gettleman leaves, but as long as he's there, I don't see any of them leaving really no matter 
how bad he plays. On the other side, Patrick Mahomes threw another interception, so I believe that's seven games in a row for him. Not a great look. Again, he's got like, what, 14 interceptions on the year? He's basically got one for every game of the season, and they're barely halfway through the season, so... He's definitely playing very desperate, but hey, they've got some reinforcements coming. They've got uh, some linemen coming through uh, from the trade deadline, so hopefully things can look better for protecting him. And I believe they were the ones who got Melvin Gordon, so or sorry, Melvin Ingram. So hopefully they can get something going in at least the run defense, but it's still looking very rough. I think the Chiefs might be the worst over 500 team in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't honestly know they were over 500 until you said that right there. I mean, that's that's crazy. I think this was the game. <laughs> this was the game, and they're facing the Packers this next week, which we'll talk about in a second, which, I mean, they got that basically gifted on a on a platter to them. Sorry, they are they are. Oh, they 500. are 500. They're okay, four and so four. They're, they're hungry for a win. They're go- coming to Green Bay to eat cheese later this week. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the G- the Chiefs... They looked basically like they've looked all season. They don't look like a playoff team. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the entire team, and it's kind of wearing on his play, as you can see. He had, they haven't been able to score a whole lot of points in these past couple games. Um, yeah, not looking good for them going forward at all. Yeah, with that, we're going to move on. Um, normally, we wouldn't talk about a future game on our college football podcast. However, it just came out literally earlier today that Aaron Rodgers is actually not even vaccinated. And now he has COVID. Turns out because he was talking to one of the like team official trainers, he has some special treatment to increase the antibody account in his blood. I'm not really sure on the science of it, but it sounds like it's, it's got a few yeah. holes in it. But basically, that's all to say that Aaron Rodgers will not be playing this week. So, since it's not a game time decision like Dak Prescott, we've decided we're going to give ourselves the opportunity, if we'd like, to repick that game. Caleb, who do you have for the Green Bay Packers at the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, going against uh, Jordan Love is a lot different than going against Aaron Rodgers, so I'm taking the the Chiefs in this one. And plus, going against that Packers secondary, I think uh, think Mahomes is going to have a better game this time around. At least he should. That that secondary can be had, and Tyreek Hill's going to break at least yeah. one big one in this one. Also, it's important to note, we actually were touting the horn of um, Jalen Smith earlier when he actually signed with the Packers. Got they actually cut. just waved him. Yeah, so... Turns out that didn't work out too well for him, but their defense is looking up. That being said, I've also got the Chiefs. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the spark plug to the Packers offense, and there's no way Jordan Love is going to be able to handle all those options the way Aaron Rodgers did. It was a miracle they won against the Cardinals. It would be a damn impossibility for them to win against the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Yeah, I'd love to see him keep it close, but I just I can't see it happening. But uh, anyways, let's move into the college football this week, my man. How about it? Oh, man. It was a very, very fun week. We had some great matchups between uh, rivals. We had a couple of shocking games, but we're going to start in the Big Ten where I believe the best games were honestly played. And we're just going to just go straight for the prime cut here, man. We're going to go from Michigan versus Michigan State. We could not have been more wrong about this outcome. We thought it was going to be low scoring, like a 25, 19, <laughs> 20 to 17 game, 37 to 33, over 800 yards of offense. 
And Caleb, you have to think that Kenneth Walker, after getting five touchdowns, has to be firmly in the Heisman hunt. Absolutely. Kenneth Walker is definitely, if, if he's not the front runner, he's definitely in the Heisman hunt at the very least. At the end of the day, at the, the Heisman is usually also a QB award, but the way that Kenneth Walker has been playing right now, you got to... Hey, Devontae Smith got it just last year. He's not a QB. That is true. Derrick Henry also got it. I mean, in college, it's a lot more parody than the MVP in the NFL, I guess you could say. But I mean, with that resume he's got right now, basically 1,200 yards, 14 TDs through eight games so far. I mean, it's hard to deny him, but... uh. I, I wish the people could see the text exchange that you and I were having during this game. Like, oh man, Kenneth Walker might still make us right in this one. Holy shit, we were wrong. But hey, Michigan State might still win. We might still look smart, man. It was uh, quite a Saturday, man. I can't believe this was a noon game. Yeah, you knew. You knew it was going to be a great week to start when we had this thriller of a game at noon. I mean, Peyton Thorne was very uninspiring for Michigan State, but... He did enough, I guess, to let Kenneth Walker just completely take over. He took a piggyback ride in this one on on, uh, Kenneth Walker's back, for sure, just like everybody else on that team. Hey, man. At the end of the day, when you look at Cade McNamara and Peyton Thorne, one of them was a a winning quarterback, and the other one outperformed the first one. Cade McNamara, he had almost 400 passing yards, but he did have a very untimely pick pretty much on the very last drive. And I mean, you have to give credit to Michigan. We are kind of bragging on them just because we're we're not haters of Jim Harbaugh, but we don't believe in him, right? And this was a game where it we can't say Jim Harbaugh just chokes in big games because they just play completely uncharacteristically and held on with them every single play until just the very final play. Yeah, and I mean, you got to give credit to Cade, Cade McNamara in this one. I mean, Michigan State has a pretty solid defense, and he put up almost 400 yards on him. That being said, I think he's not even the biggest bright spot on his own team. And Andrell Anthony, however you pronounce it, Andrell, Andrell, sorry about, sorry to Andrell Anthony. He has, he's a fantastic player. He made basically nothing but big plays in yeah. this one. Six receptions, 155 yards, two TDs. Basically, was getting a quarter of the field every single reception. I feel like every time I saw his his name come up, he was making a big jump ball down the field. It really looked like it's a it's a high school player or a college player playing against like high school players, essentially. You know what I'm saying? Like the guy looks like he's an NFL prospect, and it's one of those things where I definitely think he's going to get drafted based off of that alone. We'll see if he's any good at the next level, but he was a fantastic wide receiver in this game. His star is shining very bright already. Yep, he's a freshman, a true freshman at that. So he has a long way to go. He's gonna be, he's gonna be a first round pick. He's gonna be a first round pick when he comes out. If he's a, if he's a freshman, oh man. I mean, he jumps off the tape already. I mean, he looks like he's outplaying all the competition around him, and that's all like upperclassmen out there. So, who man, I don't know if, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is gonna take advantage of him. But what a talent to have in the program. For our next game, we had the number nine ranked Iowa at Wisconsin, and Wisconsin ended up winning this game 27-7. You really can't ever count out Wisconsin, even when they're not ranked. They're just one of those classic Big Ten teams of just having a very, very stout corn-fed line, having a very good running back, and just keeping every game as close as possible. I mean, their running back had over 100 yards in just 20 carries, and they were able to keep Spencer Petros on the other side to less than 100 passing yards. 
they really ran the table against Iowa. The score was only a 20-point difference, but it might as well have been a seven-touchdown difference. Yeah, and Iowa was dominated so much. I mean, it's basically, I mean, you know what you're getting with them, defense and run game, right? But half of that equation, well, well, on one side, they gave up 27 points to Wisconsin, so defense, not great. On the other side, they rushed the ball 30 times for 24 yards, which if you're keeping score at home, that's less than a yard per carry. I mean, they got absolutely dominated by Wisconsin in this game and I guess they could they just gave up like (laughs) they just decided the season was over as far as the playoff aspirations are concerned and I mean man what a fall from grace after initially coming out at what three two whatever they were they were number two for a second there yeah it's crazy like they they had all the cards in their hand they were able to go in maybe get into the playoff for the first time represent the big 10 didn't even have to play any ranked opponents for the rest of the year and now they've just spiked their season into the ground like yeah like i don't even know if they're ranked in, exactly in the committee's poll if they are it's very low and they're definitely not going to be making it into the the committee's playoffs at this point yeah i want to say the committee had them ranked in the 20s i mean either way i mean if you really looked at like 15 through 25 of the committee's poll we'll get into it later but holy Nothing, nothing really made a whole lot of sense there outside of they don't like the group of five. Yeah. Say, sticking with this game right here, I mean, Wisconsin's running back. They always have somebody who's going to be an NFL guy. This guy's a true freshman, runs like a fucking gazelle, and he's 237 pounds. That's insane. The guy is enormous. I mean, and he's, he's a true freshman. They're going to have him for two more years after this. I mean, I don't know where Wisconsin finds all these guys, but hey, he's the next one on the line that's going to go. I'll tell you that much. But uh, looking at Wisconsin in particular going forward, they do uh, control their own destiny here. It looks like they're probably going to be favored in pretty much all their games going forward, except for Minnesota in that last week being at Minnesota. That might be a real game that they can actually uh, trip up on, don't you think? Yeah, I think that'll be a very fun game because I believe Minnesota's in the same division as them. Um, And even if they aren't, Minnesota's a ranked opponent currently, and Minnesota's already faced... Ohio State so if they're in the other division they might not be ranked because they'll have to play the Michigan teams but I'm pretty sure they're in the same division as Wisconsin which means that's basically going to be a crash course between the two for who's going to win the Big Ten West division and with that either team could maybe even be ranked in the teens come conference championship time they won't make a playoff but they could definitely play spoiler (laughs) i think literally no matter who makes it out of the big 10 east i think they're gonna run wisconsin out of the stadium like i i mean good for wisconsin if they make it to the the big 10 championship i mean you got there it's an achievement in and of itself but the east is just the the top teams are head and shoulders better than the west it's just plain simple unfortunately yeah even michigan which we had doubts about looks like they're pretty legit like they're all pretty worthy of possibly being top 10 at worst top 15 teams with that we're going to move back to the big 10 east though where we had the 20th ranked penn state losing 33 to 24 against the fifth ranked ohio state and this was about what we expected it was a pretty close game but i think that more attributes to the fact that penn state just knows ohio state pretty well but ohio state mostly 
just completely dominated this game, even if the score was close. I mean, Travion Henderson, their true freshman that we've been looking at for a while, probably going to be in the hunt for the Heisman. Probably not this year, but within the next year or two. Talk about another lineage of running backs at, at yeah. Ohio State, man. God, they just had J.K. Dobbins leave, and now they've got this true freshman who just had over 150 yards against a ranked opponent. Don't forget Zeke Elliott. Yep. Don't forget Zeke Elliott, Elliott, Carlos Hyde before him, too. Yeah, it just keeps going. And <laughs> C.J. Stroud is getting better and better each week. This was something that we we weren't totally sure if it was going to happen, but if it did, this would be about the time that he would really start to break out. And Caleb, you really hit the nail on the head here because you had mentioned C.J. Stroud specifically as being someone who's really been resurging, and he really put up a solid performance. It wasn't eye-popping per se like Matt Corral has been but it was still very very strong yeah and I don't think CJ Stroud is in that upper echelons I mean he's probably still in that uh that conversation for Heisman he didn't vault himself up with the performance this week I don't think but it was a very good very solid performance he had nine yards per attempt which when you're really looking at a, how a QB performs in a game it's not a be-all end-all stat but if everything else is well-rounded and he's got a good good uh, yards per attempt stat. It's a it's a solid game overall. 9.0 is nothing to sneeze at, but one touchdown you'd like to see a little bit more, but against a solid Penn State defense and I mean, he's a true freshman, right? I think classified And let's be honest, when you've got Travion Henderson yeah, in the exactly. backfield and you've also got Mayan Williams who not turning out to end up being the second option to Trayvon Henderson, but very strong in his own right, it's hard to start getting those touchdowns, right? Like, you got to spread the wealth a little That's bit. That's true. It was kind of the same thing that uh, Mississippi State had this week where all the all the running backs were taking all the touchdowns. I mean, when you recruit in Ohio, one of the, the great uh, the great wealths you got there, you got what? You got linemen, you got running backs, so why not? And quarterbacks. And quarterbacks. Why not run the ball? Line, linebackers, too. Sorry, linebackers as well. I, I remember LSU <laughs> used to get a ton of linebackers from Ohio. Yeah, I do. I do remember there was a lot of like linebackers that go to Ohio State that end up being nasty. Like remember that uh that linebacker core with uh I think it's like AJ Hawk, uh, Bobby Carpenter, uh, God, who was the other one? Anthony Schlegel, all those guys. God, that was just yeah. nasty. But uh, anyways, yeah. On the other side, Sean Clifford. Not bad. He put up some some solid numbers, but to throw 52 times, only get 360 yards. I say only. It's a lot of yards, but at the same time, it's like a whole lot of dinks and dunks, not a whole lot of efficiency on offense. It looks like OSU stifled their run game. Yeah, I mean, I think Sean Clifford probably did as well as you can when you're the only one producing for the team. Ohio State really came in just looking to make Sean Clifford perform, which is what we expected because he's he's a lot like the Bo Nix of the Big Ten, I feel, where he can either be really good or really bad. And in this game, I feel like he was pretty good, but the problem is that there was no run game. I mean, they ran 29 times for 33 yards. That's barely over a yard per run. And when you run that poorly, can you even run anymore? Like at that point, you have to swap to an air raid or a West Coast. And so that led to Sean Clifford throwing 52 times. But realistically, I don't think Penn State is the answer for the Big Ten East after this. I mean, they've already lost to Michigan State. They've already lost to Ohio State. So they're firmly out of the Big Ten East race. But they can at least play spoiler to Michigan moving forward. Yeah, I think the best they can hope for for the rest of the season, Penn State, is to play spoiler. You knew at least like, I mean, at least one or two of those teams in the Big Ten East probably like, 
three of them are going to end up dropping out of it when it's all said and done. I mean, they're just going to end up cannibalizing each other. So the fact that Penn State is getting the short end of the stick, it's not really a it's not a statement of how their team is. Like, I think they have a solid team. It's just they, they're in an absolutely stacked division, the only one that's really comparable to the SEC West, I would say. But uh, it doesn't really get much easier for them, either of these teams. They both play the Michigan teams going forward, so it's, it's not going to be fun for Penn State, I don't think. <laughs> I agree. With that, we're going to move into the SEC, as you mentioned, but we're going to stick to the SEC East, where we had Georgia versus Florida, and oh, man. Good old Dan Mullen losing games more and more. This was a horrific game for Florida. In the last two and a half minutes of the first half, they gave up two interceptions. And what was a 0-0 game became a 17-0 game. Or actually, it was a 24-0 game. 24-0, yeah. Let's start from the 220 mark here. First off, uh, Florida's deep in their own territory. They're trying to stay safe, run the ball with the QB. Nolan Smith... The Georgia safety or linebacker, I don't know what position he is, but he literally stole the ball from uh, Anthony Richardson's hands. He just took it, turned the other way, and then fell on the ground. That was his now. He just absolutely bodied him. Very next play, James Cook scores a touchdown. It's 10-0. The following possession, Nolan Smith again firmly plants himself in Anthony Richardson's nightmares, really going forward for the rest of his life at this point. Gets an INT on the second play of the drive. Very next play, Stetson Bennett throws us 36-yard TD to Kyrus Jackson. Uh, that's 17-0 if you're keeping score at home. And finally, you think Florida's getting a good drive going. They're trying to get some momentum going into halftime. They got like a seven-play drive. Then all of a sudden, N'Kobe Dean gets a pick six off of Anthony Richardson with seven seconds left to go in the half. Uh, predictably, they took a knee on the very next possession. That's pretty much all she wrote from there. I mean, that's really all you needed to see in the game. After that, the game was over. Georgia won. (laughs) I can't believe that after all that happened, Anthony Richardson still played in the second half. Like, that is so demoralizing to happen. Yeah, I thought for sure he would be out because it just, he just imploded at the end of the half there. I mean, the final two minutes, it was three, three nothing for a while there. I mean, they were in the game and then that last two minutes, the wheels just fell off. It was crazy. Yeah, we've sang the praises of University of Georgia this whole time, so I don't want to get too much into them. But on the Florida side, I think one of the biggest issues that they've had really showed itself here. They just have no consistency in quarterback. They still can't commit to whether it's Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones. And I think the issue is because neither of them are good. I mean, Anthony Richardson just gave up two picks and clearly Dan Mullen isn't very confident in Emory Jones's play. Otherwise, he would have trotted him out in the second half. But I think they mostly split the, sa- the snaps in the second half. But it's really not looking very good for Florida, a team who I once thought was a top 10 team. And I'll give them a little bit of leniency. I mean, it's hard to replace Kyle Trask. I mean, that guy just lit it up the past couple of years that he was there. But I mean, it... Neither of the guys they got in there, like you said, are really any good. They're solid athletes. They can run the ball, but they can't push the ball down the field. It's a lot like running a uh, an offense with Nick Fitzgerald back in the day. Going to get a lot of rushing yards. <laughs> it's a lot like that, though. You can't really push the ball down the field. Got guys with good arms, but, you know, better legs, I would say. It's, you know, he's limited in that sense, but hey. Better watch out, Dan. That They're not as patient in Florida as they are in Mississippi State. No, sir. And for the SEC East's potential second-best team, we had Kentucky traveling to Mississippi State's house 
And Mississippi State thoroughly handled this game. I was surprised that it was actually a two-touchdown game, 31-17. I thought it would for sure come down to the last possession, but Mississippi State, their front seven has probably been the best part of their team, and they really stifled Kentucky. They forced Will Levis to throw down the field, which is something he's not good at doing, and they kind of exposed Kentucky for being a pretender when we thought they could be legit. Yeah, and I will have... My one moment of poop pantsery. I mean, obviously, Mississippi State won the game. You got to have one every every podcast, one. man. Just one. This is going to be a quick one. Every, every Literally podcast. Literally every other part of the game was awesome, but just one. It happened up top in the game, so we can get to the rest of it after that. But that Martin Emerson targeting call early was not a targeting. I mean, even with the, the rule of the stupid law, it was not targeting. He did not make any contact with the head. He made the bulk of his contact to the chest with his arms. He had to make a big hit to keep the guy short of going to a first down. I mean, what else do you want the guy to do? I fucking hate this rule. The, the targeting rule makes absolutely no sense. Literally on our first podcast of the year, we were talking about how convoluted it is and how it doesn't make sense because during the Oregon and Ohio State game, the targeting rule came into effect twice. One time it wasn't called when it should have been and one time it was called when it shouldn't have been and it completely changed the dynamic and I, I won't say it directly led to OSU losing to Oregon, but it definitely played a factor. And it's just, there's just no consistency in it. And unfortunately, it reared its ugly head once again here. Yeah, luckily, it didn't have a whole lot of impact on the game. Even with Emerson out, we did end up shutting down Kentucky's offense. But I want I to keep an eye on Mississippi State's offense because Will Rogers had an insanely efficient day. 36 of 39, 344 yards. Only one TD, but that's because uh, Johnson and Marks ate up three TDs in the red zone. Finished drives real well. That was the main thing. But he set a single game record for completion percentage with 92.3%. Hit 12 different receivers. And here's the thing. He's not an electric arm talent. He can't really push the ball down the field. But when he plays within his skill set, when he reads the defense, he throws accurate short intermediate passes. He can really dice up a defense and he showed it in this one. Yeah, honestly, with the way that he's playing, I think the only thing really holding him back is that arm talent. Otherwise, I think that he could have a play for being a pro, a pro prospect. I mean, this dude showing that he can read defenses and keep up with the vast majority of SEC defenses, and he's putting in work, he's putting in production, and yeah, it's an air raid offense, so there's going to be a lot of easy completions in there, but he's still very efficient. He's not making a lot of mistakes here. I do want to go back to the air raid, though, because I have to give props to Mike Leach. I was very curious how he would how he would transform his game plan when he came to the SEC, because clearly you can't just run an air raid. You have to change it up for the SEC. And it seems like he's starting to get a lot more maturity in his game plan, where he's starting to run it a bit more. I mean, when you have a guy like Woody Marks back there who is an electric running back, one of the best ones in the SEC. You have to start feeding him. And Mike Leach is doing a much better job of running the ball and not just passing it 60 times a game. I think that's really helping Mississippi State keep the ball in their control and maybe start winning some of these games that they otherwise would have not been able to win. I agree. And it, it makes sense when you think about it. Cause I mean, I know it's a little, it's a little bit cheesy to think about. I think pretty much every coach refers to it, but I mean, I think it's really like applicable in this point because Mike Leach taught a whole class about like war tactics in relation to football. So he really buys into the whole Sun Tzu art of war stuff. And I think it's all just about like 
attacking where the defense is weak. If he gets solid numbers in the run game, like he's got five offensive linemen going against three three down linemen on the other side and everyone else dropping back in coverage, he's going to run that. And he showed that in this game because Mark Stoops dropped eight pretty much every single play. And when he did that sometimes, and I think sometimes he only rushed two, and when he did that, you saw they ran 35 times. They didn't run particularly efficiently, but they were impact runs. They got first downs. They got good enough to good enough uh, gains to, I mean, at least have them respected at the very least. And you saw it pay dividends in the, the passing game overall, you know? With that, we're going to move on to another classic SEC West matchup where we had Ole Miss versus Auburn. Auburn ended up winning this game 31-20 in Ole Miss's first top 10 ranking of the year. And Caleb, on three. One, two, three. Go, Go to hell, hell, Ole Miss. Miss. There it is. There it is. There it is. Bo Nix, as I thought was going to be very solid in this one, he wasn't flashy by any stretch of the imagination, but he had three touchdowns and no interceptions. So, I mean, that's the most you can really hope for from a quarterback, especially in the SEC. On the other side, Matt was largely stifled. He didn't pass over 300 yards. He didn't even have a touchdown. And he was barely over 50% completion. What do you think about this game? Yeah, I mean, you can really tell how much Auburn really dominated this game, kind of how Tank's big, Tank Bigsby performed. I mean, 23 carries, 140 yards. The whole team is basically built around the run game. So when Tank Bigsby does that, I mean, they you could tell they just controlled the game the entire time. But, I mean, Bo Nix going against the Ole Miss defense, I think it's what we said last week, that, you know, it's a gift for every single quarterback that keeps giving, every single offense that keeps giving. They just give up points like, no one's business whatsoever, and I got to give it to Bo Nix. He had a solid performance. They won the game. They beat Ole Miss. I can't really expect anything more from them. I don't love Auburn, but this week, good job, boys. Love you guys. Auburn actually might be my – they're, like, tied between my second and third most tolerable team in the SEC West, I would say. Ole Miss, obviously, I hate. Texas A&M, obviously, I hate. Bama, I hate less than those two, but I still hate. Arkansas is just kind of there, but I feel like... Yeah, we're just kind of here. What the fuck? <laughs> we're, we're not assholes. What are you talking about? We're in the West. I didn't say Mississippi State. No, I'm saying... Oh, I thought I'm you, saying... Are you talking shit, dude? No, I'm not talking shit about Mississippi State. Quite the contrary. I think y'all are all right. I think you guys you. you guys in Auburn, I put in like the same category where I think y'all are all right, you know? Like, sometimes you guys have some really fun games to watch, but most of the time, I'm like, not not threatened by you guys, but like, I don't hate yeah, you, you know, guys. You funny... Funny enough, Mississippi State and Auburn like fucking hate each other, dude. Like I don't know. It seems like a very strange rivalry. (laughs) I know it's weird as shit, but I mean, it feels like it's been close enough over the past several years. Like Mississippi State has has split in times where they're they weren't expected to. They they've beat them more times than they usually do over the past history. So I guess it's kind of built up some animosity there, at least on the Mississippi State side. I don't know if it's mutual on Auburn's side, but. A lot of Mississippi State fans do not like Auburn at all. I think for LSU, probably probably Mississippi State will probably be our most liked team afterwards, just because, I mean, in the past, obviously, um, there was a lot less parity than there has been recently, but there's never really animosity with you guys, just because I think we both understood, like, look, Ole Miss is some garbage, <laughs> and LSU has bigger problems to deal with in Alabama, Texas A&M. Like, we, we don't have to... Yeah spread this energy to to some cute lovable bulldogs you know 
Yeah, also, also, look, I mean, the history of Mississippi State's program, let's just call it like it is, they're basically the Lions of the SEC West anyways. At least you guys have the championship. Vanderbilt, <laughs> yes, that is true. Vanderbilt is the the Lion, What what? I don't even know what I fucking said, but, I mean, whatever. They're the worst of, they're the Lions of the SEC East, we're the Lions of the SEC West. I would say Vanderbilt is the Lions of the SEC overall, but, hey, we have a bad history. How can you hate a team that's bad? I know in... In the NFC North, I don't hate the Lions because they've been bad for so long. It just feels like you're being a sadist when you do that, right? Plus, I have to give props because y'all's, probably y'all's like favorite player of all time, I would say, at least in recent memory, is Dak Prescott. And I mean, he's a Louisiana oh, he's boy, so like... He's everyone's yeah, favorite. exactly. I think, I am convinced he could go back to Starkville and murder someone in public and he would, they would find a way to, to get him off on a technicality. I swear to God, he's a... He's a god in Starkville in that area. Yeah, moving out of the SEC into the ACC, uh, Pittsburgh laid a big old fat egg against Miami. I mean, so proud of you, the, ACC. Uh, yeah, proud of you, ACC. I mean, at least Wake Forest is up there, but hey, Pittsburgh, not so great. Lost to Miami this week without uh, De'Aaron King. Ouch. But hey, Kenny Pickett over 500 yards, three TDs, pretty solid there, right, Zach? Yeah, you have to think that he might be one of those sneaky contenders for the Heisman race. I don't think that he's going to be one of the flash options like Matt Corral or Walker or Bryce Young simply because his team's not as good as those teams. And also he's in the ACC, specifically at Pittsburgh, where they haven't been historically good the past few years. But Kenny Pickett is a very good option, I think, for anybody who's looking at the Heisman. He's been throwing a ton of yards. He's a little mobile as well, and honestly, he's carrying Pittsburgh. Like, he could be one of those top five picks in the NFL draft when it's said and done. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I mean, all those prospects that you thought about at the beginning of the year, like Spencer Rattler has kind of fallen off. I mean, I guess Sam Howell hasn't been terrible, but he's also playing in the ACC. He hasn't been, like, lighting teams up like we expected him to. So it's kind of created a situation where players like Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett are really elevating themselves. And I think he, he's mobile, he's big, he's got the frame, he's probably going to wow people at the combine with his measurables. I could definitely see the recipe there for him getting drafted high, but if there's anything we learned from Mitchell Trubisky, buyer beware with the ACC, man. There is no defense to be played anywhere here. In Mitch Trubisky's defense... He did have Matt Nagy yeah, as his coach. That'll that'll kill anyone's career. He's actually been solid in his appearance with the Buffalo, with the with the Buffalo, with the Bills so far. <laughs> Dude, honestly, like a lot of people were talking about uh, trade options for the Saints, and Mitch Trubisky's name came up, and I was like, you know what? I don't actually hate that option. I I think it'd be interesting to see him play with like an actual offensive mind on a team that has a good offense yeah, at the very least at the, I'll, I'll just add this one thing in. at the very, very least, like Peyton would be able to utilize his skill set in a way that Nagy was like square peg round hole over and over again. You're not going right. to run. You're going to be a pocket QB, but that's, that's the NFL. We're talking about college. Let's move on to Miami's defense as well. Tyler Van Dyke was honestly perfect. That is he was 32 of 42, just about 75% completion. He had over 400 passing yards he, hit, he did have the one pick, but you can kind of shove that to the side considering Miami just beat a ranked opponent. Mm -hmm. But the ACC is looking as murky as ever, where honestly, our next opponent, 
Wake Forest just absolutely trounced Duke and is looking like the only contender left for the ACC into the playoff poll and just a general national respectability. Yeah, agreed. But I mean, Sam Harton, Hartman just lit up Duke in this one, man. I mean, 400 yards, five total touchdowns. I don't know if you've seen a picture of this guy, but he's a fucking, he's a supermodel, dude. Holy shit. He might be, he might yeah. be the most attractive <laughs> man I've seen in my entire life. And it's like, it. It's crazy. I mean, the, the name Sam Hartman just makes you go, damn, fuck that guy. Dude, He's too guy, beautiful for this world. The guy's face doesn't even look real. I mean, it's crazy. But, I mean, Wake Forest, they're, they're ranked in the top 10 in the latest uh, latest polls here. But uh, they got a fairly easy schedule down the stretch. I mean, actually, come to think of it, coming to look at it, UNC is kind of a challenge. It'll probably be a shootout there. NC State is ranked. Clemson is, I mean, who the hell even knows? They're not great, but they can always show up. They've got that talent. And BC's been solid all year. I don't know if they're going to have a playoff resume with that uh, with that with that ending schedule there. Do you think? I, I mean, it's really going to depend. I think they're definitely going to be that fifth man out. I think if Cincy is undefeated, it's going to be a real big question of whether it's Cincy or Wake Forest that gets in. Um, but you also need the Big Ten to falter in that regard. You have to think that Oklahoma is probably going to drop a game eventually with the way that they've been playing, but. You can't bet on them to lose a game because they're undefeated so far. It's definitely not in the cards for them to win. But if they could at least maintain this top 10 ranking that they have just gotten, then, I mean, props to them. And we're going to get to how that's historic in just a moment. Yeah, they're such a fun team, though, man. I mean, their defense is just terrible. I mean, just just bad. I mean, that, that 56 points given up to Army is just going to stick in my mind for the rest of the season. But that offense with Sam Hartman is just so potent. I mean, he's got 28 touchdowns, three INTs so far this year. The guy has been lighting it up. They've got other weapons who, you know, the names escape me right now, but the main one, Sam Hartman, a Heisman, not not finalist, but in the conversation right now, they're going to play a whole lot of shootouts, a lot of fun games going forward, starting with UNC this week for sure. Yeah. And it'll be an interesting name to talk about come NFL draft time as well, because you have to think another guy who's elevated himself. Exactly. Like between him between him and Kenny Pickett, like you you've gotta look at them at least to say, Hey, I mean Trevor Lawrence came out of the ACC, so we gotta at least start looking at these ACC quarterbacks. And when you're playing that well, I mean shit, Trey Lance was a number three overall pick and he didn't play against anyone. But with that, we're gonna move into the Big Twelve, where we had Texas versus Baylor. And the only reason we're really mentioning this game is because we're slight Baylor fans. Because, you know, Dave Aranda, he's our guy. As far as the politics behind Baylor, eh, a little sketchy. But yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm a fan of Baylor over the past couple years, I guess. I've just been told I'm a Baylor fan. <laughs> <laughs> but Baylor did win this game 31-24. to uh, Baylor did a great job of shutting down the run game. Do you sense a theme for this podcast where it's largely about the run game? But... Uh, Jerry Bohannon was not great for Baylor, but Abram Smith had almost 200 rushing yards. Or sorry, he led the rushing attack for almost 200 rushing yards, where he himself had over five, about six yards a carry and had a touchdown of his own. I mean, Texas, they had a really good start to the season, but they've kind of fallen off since then, I guess, since they've faced real opponents. But uh, hey, I mean, Casey Thompson's young, Bijan Robinson's young. They're, they're a team that's building. I mean, credit to Baylor for for beating a quality Texas offense and holding them down to only 
24 points, but hey, I can't say this is one that we got surprised by. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Baylor is one of those sneaky good teams in the Big 12 that can easily play spoiler to other teams, but really it's all going to come down to Oklahoma, whom Texas plays next week, and conveniently is in our next game where Oklahoma trounced Texas Tech. Texas Tech just fired their coach after he went 0-3 in conference play, and... Honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of saving grace for Texas Tech. I guess they scored three touchdowns. Caleb Williams had over 400 passing yards and six touchdowns of his own. This game's not really indicative of what to expect for Oklahoma, other than the fact that they clearly didn't intend on running the ball very much because they only had about two yards per carry. Yeah, they just decided that play is just not the efficient one. Also, they scored 50 points. It's Texas Tech at that. They never have a good defense, so I figured the game plan was just run up the score from the very from the very jump on this one. I mean, the fact that Caleb Williams threw 30 times for 400 yards should tell you just how much the air game was dominant in this one. Six TDs as well. I mean, that's just, just crazy. But hey, Oklahoma got what they deserved this week in the rankings. We'll talk about it a little bit later. <laughs> yep. So we're going to go into our... Group of five watch where we check on the teams that have the best chance of either making into the rankings or maybe undefeated or possibly making into the playoffs. So first, I mean, we got to go with our Bearcats. Of course. Cincy versus Tulane. It was 31 to 12. It wasn't even close. Um, Desmond Ritter threw for a solid 200 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. And he was really the star of this game. But you have to sense that since he's not quite putting these teams out, in the way that they need to in order to get that national respect, right? Yeah, I mean, they've looked disjointed in the past couple games. Desmond Ritter, I mean, he looked solid in this one, I guess. Three touchdowns is is okay. I mean, it's I mean it's very good. It's it's a solid performance, but two hundred twenty seven passing yards, not awesome. And when the fucking truck only gets sixty five yards on eighteen carries, pretty pretty pedestrian overall. I mean, you want to see Tulane's only one and six. You want to see Cincy if they're going to make the playoffs, just beat this team by fifty, and they're going to have to start doing that if they're going to make the playoffs. Because, I mean, the committee made no bones about it; they do not respect the group of five. They need to really not at all. They need to separate themselves if they want to have even a shot of making the playoffs at this point. Yeah, and to stay in the American Conference, actually, uh, we had SMU versus Houston. Two teams that since he is actually likely to play, SMU, they're guaranteed to play, and Houston, they will play if Houston essentially wins out and makes it to the championship. But Houston ended up winning this one on a last-second kickoff touchdown. It was a very thrilling game for any who watched. It was, again, a very sneaky, solid game that wasn't necessarily a high-ranking game, but it was a very, very quality game against two pretty equal opponents. The problem is, though... I don't think the committee's going to respect either of these teams. They're just going to assume they're both like that 25 to 40 range, right? Pretty much. I mean, the AP seems to really like those group of five teams. But yeah, SMU and Houston don't seem to be getting a whole lot of love from the committee right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, this was a fantastic game, though, overall. I thought for sure both of these teams would end up benefiting because I know SMU was already ranked. Houston played right there with them the entire game. And, I mean, they pulled it out of their ass at the end, but it was neck and neck the entire time. It's just, I mean, like you said, the committee just doesn't doesn't respect the, the group of five at all. I mean, Clayton, Looney Tune had cartoonish numbers in this one with four, 400 yards, but why, why does it matter? When you're in the group of five, I guess it's just, you know, 
those stodgy old people just don't care, I guess. It's a it's a real shame because they both have seven wins, which is something that a lot of teams can't do. Like, I mean, shit, let's think about it. Like, not, not to, like, shit on your boys, but Mississippi State has five wins. I mean, that's two less wins just by straight math. Best three-loss team in the country, Yeah, maybe. and meanwhile, you have teams that have <laughs> one loss, not even making it to the rankings. But we'll get to that in the future. Yeah. For teams with zero losses, not even right. into the rankings, Zach. Teams with zero losses. But to go to Fresno State versus San Diego State, this was a game that we thought was going to surprise some people. San Diego State came in undefeated, and they left with their first loss of the year. Fresno State's quarterback, Jake Hayner, put in a very efficient performance. Uh, it was 25 of 42 with just over 300 passing yards and a touchdown. And Jordan Mims had a great running performance with just under 30 carries and over 180 yards and two touchdowns. Fresno State really looked complete this game against them. Hey, and props to you, man. You hit the nail on the head with the analysis on this one. Fresno State pretty much, I mean, the score looks pretty close, but they dominated this game. They went up basically, I think, 30-10, to 30-3 or something like that at halftime and just coasted it, coasted it in in the second half. I mean, San Diego State did all of their damage, basically rushing yards on the ground in the second half, which is when, I mean, they were up by so much. Fresno State was just kind of letting them do their thing on the ground at that point. They Probably just, had some second exactly. strings and third strings in there at some points. Exactly. And the more they run it, the more the clock runs. So they're really just, just hurting themselves there. But yeah, props to you, man. Fresno State just absolutely bodied San Diego State, who are somehow still ranked in the top 25. I mean, that's that's just crazy to me with how they performed in this one. It just goes to show that the writers don't actually watch the West Coast games. They're like, this is way yeah. too fucking late. I'm going to bed, and I'm looking at the numbers in the morning. That's it. <laughs> with that, we might as well get into those playoff rankings. As we had our initial top four being about what we actually expected. We had University of Georgia at first. Really no shocker there. Bama at number two, which we both... Thought might be an inevitability, but we're kind of hoping they would be in that number four spot. We have Michigan State at number three, giving them proper odds. And Oregon, who kind of surprised me that they actually made it in over both OSU and Cincy, who are ranked fifth and sixth. I feel like there's some disrespect given to Cincy. I understand that their schedule isn't the greatest, but the fact that you have Oregon at number four and OSU at number five just... Just speaks exactly what the prerogative is here. I mean, Oregon beat OSU, so clearly it's like, oh, well, let's put them both up here, but I guess we'll put Oregon one spot higher because they beat OSU, but come on, come on. Is this serious right now? Right, like, you can tell, like, just from that top six right there that what's going to happen for the rest of this rankings because, like we were saying before throughout the podcast so far, they the committee does not respect the group of five. I mean, there's so many... There are so many teams that are ranked in the AP poll that are not ranked in the playoff rankings. Let me just go through a few of them here. UTSA is undefeated. They're not ranked. Coastal Carolina, I can kind of understand that because they have that one loss. They're not ranked. UL Lafayette, they're not ranked. Um, Fresno State ended up being ranked. Uh, San Diego State, who got absolutely bodied, is ranked somehow. Not sure exactly how. Yeah, why Why is San Jose State not ranked? But UTSA, who hasn't even lost it and wasn't exposed, not ranked. No idea. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. It feels like something where they're just like saying, hey, you got to prove it to us towards the end of the season. But hey, 
how is UTSA ever going to prove anything to you? They don't play anybody. They'll probably win out in their entire schedule. Right. And you're not going to probably even rank them because of your own biases. I mean, you got to get, give them at least a chance, you would think. It's already showing clear biases because I believe they had Auburn ranked at 14, Ole Miss ranked at 16, and Mississippi State as a surprise number 17, one what? that yeah. I didn't even realize until you mentioned to me. And look, I've been saying... I said during this podcast, I think Mississippi State is a very quality team, but the fact that they're ranked top 25 surprises me considering they lost to LSU and Memphis, who are both unranked teams. I actually agree. I mean, they got three wins against ranked teams, right? So, I mean, that goes in their favor, but I actually put in, for the preview of the Mississippi State-Arkansas game, I actually put in there because I assumed already that we weren't going to be ranked in the playoff rankings, that it's a it's a win that could propel us into the top 25. <laughs> I didn't think it would, we would have to keep winning to stay in the top 25 at that point. I thought right. that would propel us in there. I mean, it's it's crazy that we're ranked this highly, but hey, I'll take it. Best three-loss three, three team in the nation. Best one right, right here. Committee's got State. you guys right there. That's right. I'll take I'll take any win I can get right there. Okay, but hey, I mean, just just talking, staying with the uh, with the rankings a little bit longer. We got to talk about Oklahoma a little bit because they're all the way down at eight. I do love, love to it. see that. I do love in the this the uh, com- the committee's case here. They decided Oklahoma. Yeah, you're not as good as you say you are here. I mean, I love that. Love that. I respect yeah. that. Was it Michigan that's ranked number seven? That Michigan ended up. Yeah, I Michigan ended up getting some respect because I mean, hey. For what it's worth, it was a close game. And the only reason, the only reason they lost is because Kenneth Walker went out of his mind. I mean, three touchdowns in the final quarter and a half of that game, and it was, that's all she wrote. I mean, when that's when that's all that really beats you, you got to give them at least some respect in the end. I mean, I don't really love Michigan, but you got you to gotta give them props for being up there. I'd probably put them at number nine um, below Oklahoma. But, hey, the person who's in number nine, Wake Forest has their first ever top 10 AP ranking since 1947. Anybody who's listening to this podcast has never seen Wake Forest this good before. And they're ranked number 10 in the AP ranking, but they're ranked number nine in the CFP committee. So you have to think that if they start winning out, they might need one or two things to go well for them to get in, but they do have a puncher's chance for sure of getting into the playoffs. Look, and if they just take care of their business and they win out, they make it hard for the committee at the end. I mean, who knows what kind of chaos is going to happen for the rest of the season. It's been upsets left and right basically the entire way through here, so why expect it to stop now? I mean, they're a really fun team. Exactly. I hope they end up making it in the end, but... When I really think about it, I know if they go against Georgia in the, the first round of the playoffs, I mean, they're going to get smoked. I know it, but at the same time, I want to see it happen, right? Wanna, I want to be... Yeah, I mean, I we want to see confirmed. some of this new blood. We want to see Cincy... Having Oregon and Michigan State in there is... I love it. I love it a lot right now because it's it's new blood. I, I respect it. Yeah, I, I was thinking that Oregon should be ranked over all those Big Ten teams, specifically, if only because they beat Ohio State and... Their loss is in overtime, and it's one of those fluky West Coast, the team that you play. You know, like, anytime you play teams in conference, it's hard to win out. I mean, Alabama lost um, earlier this year, so, I mean, you got to give some respect to Oregon for still beating OSU early in the season. Um, But I think for my dream top four, I would have University of Georgia, I would have Cincy, of course, and then I think I'd also have Michigan State and Oregon. Really just kick Bama out and put Cincy back in. I know you have to give some respect to Bama because they're still really strong. But 
I mean, come on. You got to give it up to the hybrid man. I mean, I would like that. I mean, just give me fucking Michigan State, Oregon, Cincy, and Wake Forest, dude. Give me the full, give me the full chaos spread right there. That would be my favorite playoffs of all time, which I think this particular iteration of the system is not long. They're going to expand it to at least six or eight, I'm betting, in the, in the next couple of years. They already tried. I bet they're going to do it. I think it would make sense for them to expand it to eight. Because then you can have the conference winners of each of the Power 5 teams, and then you can have three wildcard teams where you can have a Bama, you can have a Cincy, and then you can have, like, an OSU, I guess, you know? I'm glad they vetoed the uh, the 12 team over the summer, though, because that would have been just just trash overall. I, I hated that idea so much. I, I don't hate the idea, but I think that before you get there, you have to go eight teams first. You have to bump it up a little yeah. bit and see how that goes, because... It does get. I to think eight's the perfect number. I, I think eight's a really good number, and I think you definitely have to see how that works out before you try to expand it even more. Because the FCS has a thirty-two team tournament, but I don't think they play as many games during the season as the thing. They only play like ten, whereas here we play twelve, thirteen if you play a championship as well. So that's a little extra tax. Yeah, and also at, at this point, we're so far down the line with like the way we've structured it with the traditional like rivalries and stuff like that. If you made it like a FCS style playoff, you'd have to completely get rid of the conference championships, kind of restructure all the bowls as we know it. It's like maybe get rid of some rivalries here and there. It's just such a, a seismic shift. It's probably something that would have to happen, you know, after the NCAA's days are officially numbered, which they're probably not long for the world either. Yeah. They're basically they're basically neutered already. They're just on their death throes right now. A lot of that's probably going to come down to what happens in the aftermath of Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC because you have to think that we're losing one of the Power Five conferences, right? It It's a question of which one we lose, but the Big 12 just brought in like four or six new teams the ACC, that are not man, great. All of a sudden. Yeah, I think the ACC is probably the weakest, but I mean... As far as geographically, it probably makes the most sense to get rid of the Big 12, right? Because you have the SEC, you have an East Coast conference in the ACC, and then you have the Pac-12 in the West, and the Big 10 can be that Midwest conference. I mean, you would think so, but I don't know if it's going to be like a set-in-stone type of like, all right, these teams are the in-crowd and these teams are the out-crowd. I think it's going to be one of those things where the play of the conference kind of separates it. So I think top to bottom, the additions that the Big 12 had, I mean, they're not like the greatest teams in the world. They're just basically a souped up group of five conference, but even then it's still better than the ACC, I would say. And there's not a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, Clemson is degrading before our eyes. Now that they don't have a real quarterback, we'll see if they can right the ship going forward. But the conference top to bottom in the ACC just doesn't look strong, even compared to the big 12. For what it's worth though, I believe the top ranked team in the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma is what Oklahoma State yeah. who's mid to late teens. So I mean, I don't know if you can Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. Baylor is But well. like I don't know if you can necessarily say that the Big 12 will be better than the ACC when Texas and Oklahoma leave because your ceiling ends up becoming Oklahoma State and Baylor at that point assuming they stay as good as they are now whereas the ACC seems to have some contenders starting to crop up in Wake Forest having a prolific offense and having NC State coming out, Pittsburgh coming out, Miami's making a resurgence. ACC could be sneaky solid. It's just they kind of lost the juggernaut that was at the complete yeah, top exactly. But I mean, I think we've kind of wrung the rag out on that topic. Let's move forward to a bit of a preview of the next week's games. First off, we got Missouri versus UGA. I mean... 
get ready, Missouri. This is it's gonna hurt a lot. This is not gonna be fun for you guys. Look, look, look. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. This is how Missouri wins. Just kidding. This They're is how Missouri this There's wins. There's no fucking way they, they win this game. Dive at the knees of all the starters of Georgia until all of them are out. Then dive at the second strings. Then maybe they have a chance at the third strings. That's pretty much the only reason that Missouri would ever win. And at that point, all their major players would be ejected by that point. So it doesn't even matter. Man, it seems so long ago, too, that Missouri actually won the like birth for the conference championship for the sec east too yeah, back when they had a uh, drew lock right yeah that was when they had drew lock and i don't think kirby smart was at georgia yet that was man that was a weird time for sec for sure <laughs> that, was <a> weird... <laughs> <laughs> that was a strange time for it was like 2016 years I, when think. I think yeah i think they had drew lock and i think they also had was blaine gabbard in the big 12 or the sec i can't remember but they had a stretch there where they were like sneaky solid and okay you know now they're down at the bottom it makes a lot more sense now <laughs> yeah but uh yeah we've already spent way too much time on missouri let's move on to uh ohio state nebraska I feel like it's a similar dynamic in this game ohio state should probably run up and down the field yeah i fully expect ohio state to win this but i mean just as we were talking about before it is one of those conference games and you can't be completely surprised if Nebraska finds a way to win this. This seems like the perfect game, right? Ohio State has just won a, a very big game against one of the big uh, contenders, and so they might be sleeping on this a little bit. But that being said, Nebraska is pretty near the bottom of the Big Ten, so I don't really expect them to actually do anything. Yeah, I mean, if there was a game where Ohio State's going to have a little bit of a hangover, it's this one when you're looking forward to the rest of the meat of the schedule in that division and you're coming off a big win at Penn State. But I just feel like they're the who's that? Ryan Day is going to have him ready to play. C.J. Stroud is going to be solid. I mean, he is a freshman. He hasn't really looked like a freshman thus far except for the beginning of the season. But I do think that they're they're just – Head and shoulders out gonna just gonna outclass Nebraska. Easy for me to say though, right? <laughs> well, we're gonna keep up with that dynamic of Wake Forest versus UNC again. You have to expect that <laughs> Wake Forest probably wins this one pretty firmly, but it's definitely yeah. I feel like this is easily a game that goes over a hundred points, <laughs> be, right? Yeah. This could be another like like army score where it's like seventy to fifty six, right. like they got Sam Howell on the other side, who's, I mean, he's going to be drafted. I don't know how high. He might be a first-round pick, might be a second-round pick, but he's a solid QB. You got uh, Sam Hartman on the other side. This might be the most attractive QB matchup of, of the season. I mean, this In is more just, than like, one. stunning good looks. I mean, have you seen Sam Howell's head looks like a chiseled block of granite, dude. I mean, that guy is another attractive guy. And Sam Hartman makes him look like a fucking gargoyle, dude. I cannot get over just how attractive that man is. I'm not even I'm not even gay, and that dude makes me want to be a little We're bit We're all on a Kinsey you know? scale somehow, right? Of course, right. And I mean, I have found the level that makes me be like, oh, man, that makes me feel a little something. You're a, yeah. What you doing, man? What you doing, man? You throw a tight spiral. We're going to go back to the Big Ten and finish up that conference a little bit where we talk about Michigan State versus Purdue. I feel like this is... Very noteworthy as Michigan State just came off of a very, very big win over what probably their arch rival, right, in Michigan. But meanwhile, Purdue is a sneaky good team. We called it when they played against Iowa that they were one of those teams that is deceptively good. They just lack some consistency. And it's in Purdue's house. So don't be too surprised if you see another Big Ten game that seems a little off on this one. It's 
This one should be a little closer to regular Big Ten scoring, though, I hope. Yeah, I think that this will be a, a low-scoring game. I mean, famous famous last words. We've been wrong about that a whole bunch of times on this podcast. But In fact, we were wrong about that last week. <laughs> yes, with the same exact team. So we'll see, we'll see if that holds, if Kenneth Walker scores like six touchdowns this time. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I think Purdue is going to keep this close, especially being at their house. Uh, those inconsistent teams always seem to, like, play – better when they're at home those all those role players tend to come out and play their best games in front of that home crowd they get juiced but uh, yeah I think Purdue's gonna keep it close but in the end Michigan State just has a superior team top to bottom it'll be close but Michigan State's gonna pull this one out I think yeah I mean ultimately they've got Kenneth Walker and that's just gonna just show in this game as hopefully he can add to his Heisman resume the thing is that that is the one caveat he is the only thing they basically have on that team uh, their quarterback isn't that great. He didn't really light it up last week. Didn't got a good defense at least, they, ideally. Yeah, they got a good defense and a good running game. But the thing is, Purdue's probably going to stack the box like eight men against Michigan State. So we'll have to see how the passing game uh, adapts to that as well. With that, we're going to move into the best conference, the SEC, where we had yes, Auburn versus Texas A&M, rank 13 versus rank 14. And this is going to be a fun game. Uh, It's in College Park, but I do expect Auburn to come away with this. One thing I would like to mention is ever since the second half against LSU started, Bo Nix just kind of flipped a switch. And he even said himself that something just kind of clicked for him. And ever since then, he's been playing lights out. Bo Nix has kind of shed off that Jekyll and Hyde uh, persona that we gave to him earlier in the season. And I think that this is going to be another game where he's going to shine and Auburn's going to win and maybe propel themselves into the top 10. Look, but here's the thing. He earned that Jekyll and Hyde reputation, not over the course of the season, over the course of his entire career up until this People can change, man. People can change. He doesn't have Malzahn with the stink of that offense around him anymore. I mean, obviously the vestiges are still there, but he has a, a more competent play caller, I would say. So, hey, maybe he's turned a corner. Maybe he can play like a little solid. I do expect Auburn to win this one, but at the end of the day, it is, it's in College Station in that, that home atmosphere. I mean, it gets raucous. I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence of an actual home field advantage when it comes to winning, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, I, they, they're a solid team. I just think Auburn's a little bit better. Yeah. We'll move to your boys, Mississippi State, and they play Arkansas. I think that this is going to be one of those classic like mid-tier SEC West matchups. This is going to be a good one for Mississippi State to prove that they belong in the top 25, and it'll be one of Arkansas's last opportunities to get back into the top 25. I definitely expect you guys to win this game, but I mean, I got to root for Sam Pittman still, you know, like he's kind of faded down the stretch, but... He's still got his team in a good place. Even with how they've been struggling, Arkansas is still better than they were last year. I do love Sam Pittman as a person, but in this one, he's absolutely dead to me. The Bulldogs are going to rip the throats out of the, uh, the Razorbacks. It just It is what it is, but uh, in, a more serious, in a more serious bit of analysis, I do think Arkansas matches up very beautifully with Mississippi State's defense. They're a run-first type of team. Which, I mean, with that front seven, you're running right into the teeth of the strength of the defense there. Uh, with the two corners, we got Emerson and Forbes, as long as neither of them, not, neither of them get uh, ejected this time around. Knock on wood, fingers crossed, let's hope not. But uh, I think they should be able to keep Arkansas's offense under control. As far as Mississippi State's offense, they're starting to really round into form. I think they can really, 
I think it'll end up being a close game, but I think they can really move the ball in this one. Yeah, I think the key to this game is honestly going to be Arkansas's pass offense. Uh, you already mentioned how the run de- run offense probably isn't going to get what they normally get, but they've got one of those true wide receiver one potential Broyles finalists in Traylon Burks. Mm-hmm. And KJ Jefferson hasn't been lighting up the league, but he hasn't really needed to because of that run offense. And really, it's going to be a key of can he put Arkansas on his back? Or will Mississippi State's front seven be able to get to him? And I think that's really what's going to determine the pace of this game. Yeah, my bet my bet for that is they're probably going to shadow, I would say, probably Fred Peters over the top of Traylon Burks and either have Emerson or Forbes one-on-one and then hope that they beat him with somebody else. But hey, we'll have to see how it goes. I've been disappointed by games like this in the past, so we'll, we'll just have to see. I think Mississippi State's going to win this one, though. This is I, – I bet this will be one of those classic SEC West matchups where you're really not sure who's going to win until very late in the game. But we're going to move on to a game that's a little less – or a little more obvious in LSU versus Alabama. The, really, the only thing I have to say is that some news came out that Miles Brennan, uh, who – Started three games, the first three games of the season for LSU and was very good for them uh, two years ago during the pandemic year, has entered the transfer portal. The writing's on a wall. I mean, what, he broke his leg last year and this year I believe he broke his arm during preseason and Max Johnson has been good enough for him to probably not get his spot back. Look for him to go somewhere, probably to one of those mid-tier schools, maybe the ACC, and I mean... He's he's a disciple of Joe Burrow, so I think he's going to do well. I don't know if he's going to do as well as Joe Burrow, but he's he knows how to read defense as well, and he can run a little bit. But to move on to the actual game, um, yeah, Alabama's going to win this one. It's in <laughs> Tuscaloosa, so like I can't even vaunt Death Valley for that. But it, it's yeah. we're just screwed. Yeah, I mean, the game itself isn't probably a very particularly interesting one. It's it's going to look a lot like the uh, Mississippi State Alabama game if I had to if I had to guess unfortunately, but the the Miles Brennan news is a bit interesting. I think it's kind of it's something you you saw coming if you're really really paying attention to the program. I mean, the the coach that recruited him there, uh, coach O is going to be gone at the end of the season. Um, none of the offensive staff that he got committed to is still there. Um, obviously they're going to move on with a different guy. New head coach is going to recruit his own guy to come in there. I mean, Plus they've got a stable where... of five-star quarterbacks. They just, they have a new five-star quarterback coming in next season and Arch Manning's one of his top three choices is LSU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's one of those things where if he wanted to get any more playing time and possibly make a push to go to the NFL, he was going to have to go elsewhere. I'll just, I'll be interested to see where he ends up going. He could really make a, a group of five team in particular, like a lower level SEC team, very good next year, I would think. But two medical red shirts, that, is that what he's getting out of that? Did he get two like season-ending injuries, or was that just like he was banged up a couple years? Um, he's just banged up. This is his graduate transfer. This gotcha. is actually his fifth year. So oh, he wow. didn't even need the pandemic year. Um, but yeah, I like you said, I expect him to go to one of those lower middle tiers. I was thinking... Um, if it wasn't for how Mike Leach has been recruiting, that Miles Brennan would be solid at Mississippi State. It seems like an offense he could thrive in, but there's probably not any room for him there. I definitely no. think one of the ACC schools could take him. I think like a Missouri or Vanderbilt could take him and could maybe get an extra win. But to go back to the actual game, there will be plenty of enjoyment for at least 
a quarter in this game because, I mean, let's be honest, LSU versus Alabama, it's one of the classic modern football rivalries. It clearly doesn't have the fanfare that it had in years past. I, I don't know. It might... LSU's going to be back. Yeah. Though, I, I, and not this year, but I think they're going to be back, though. Yeah, I mean, I LSU's still a very talented team. It's just they're... They just wiped the slate completely clean this year. I mean, they've had over half of their starters opt out or get injured at some point. Basically, since Coach O was fired. I mean, Keishon Butte is out with an injury. Um, Eli Ricks and Derek Stingler are both out with injuries. I believe two linemen are out with injuries on the defense. One offensive lineman's out with injury. Like, there's just injuries just piling up for LSU at this point. So, there's not really a whole lot to talk about as far as the game analysis is concerned. So we'll just move on to Tennessee versus Kentucky, where both teams simply are looking to stop a two-game slide. And this is a perfect indicator of who could be that second-best team in the SEC East. I think if Tennessee wins this, they might be better than University of Florida. I mean, that's that's a hilarious sentence. And it's funny because it's true, I would say. But, I mean, if Tennessee wins this game, I mean, props to Tennessee, man. We've been talking about it. The past several college football pods, but Josh Heupel's got him absolutely playing. Hendon Hooker's a great transitional QB. I think this is going to be another another fun kind of mid-tier SEC game to watch uh, going forward. I don't know what time this is, but if it's not out, if it's not on at the same time as Mississippi State, I'll definitely give this one a watch. I think. Yeah, I'll definitely look to watch this game. This is one of those matchups that might not look flashy, but I think it will also be sneaky good. There's been a lot of those for this week, I think. Um, but to move on in the SEC, we have Florida versus South Carolina. And you have to think every game at this point is a must win for Dan Mullen, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially going against South Carolina. If he loses to South Carolina, it's over. He's not coming back next year. He's already on thin ice right now. But if he loses to South Carolina, I mean, the floodgates as far as the vitriol from the boosters is coming. They're open. It's gone. I hope he wins simply so they keep the ineptitude around for Florida because of course, fuck yeah. Florida. Florida is like LSU's number one rivalry in the SEC East. We play them every year. And I mean, look, when Florida's good, the swamp is popping and it's a fun environment. But also, fuck Florida. We already be y'all, so y'all can stay good otherwise. And the thing is, they've been getting overranked since Urban Meyer left, basically. Like, that, their team has never been as good as they've been ranked basically ever since that guy left. They've had great teams, but even those great teams were ranked top five when they should have been, you know, like top ten instead of that, you know, right? That's yeah. one reason why I don't I don't particularly like Florida because it always feels like they get credit for shit that they did way back with completely different people. Fun know? thought for that, actually. Uh, Felipe Franks was with the team, right, the past few years. Obviously not the starter yeah, anymore. Went to Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, he actually started his career at LSU. Um, well, actually, he was yeah, closer. He's been around, man. He, he's been around. He was about to start his career at LSU. Uh, let me rephrase that. He was committed to LSU the year that Les Miles got fired. And, of course, he swapped his commitment uh, after Les Miles got fired when they were looking for a coach. And I have to say, the fact that he probably wouldn't have even made it at LSU just speaks a stark indicator of how bad the situation was at Florida. Because if you can't make it as a quarterback at LSU, then you probably don't belong in the SEC because outside of Joe Burrow, we have not had a solid quarterback in eight years since Zach Mettenberger. Yeah, I'm not going to turn it into a shit on LSU QBs fest because I love you, but yeah, we all know the history there. It's basically, yeah. 
Zach Mettenberger, Zach Mettenberger, Joe Burrow, and then who? Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell. Jamar- Matt Flynn. That's really I mean, all you need to know. That's all you need do, to we know. We did have Matt Flynn, too. I mean, Matt Flynn. did play in the NFL for a while. He, he won a couple good games before his career basically got ended by Russell Wilson, if you do remember. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he won the national championship for what it's worth. Yeah, that is true. Him and Jamarcus Russell, too, right? I think that was a 2 nope, QB Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell won the Heisman, but I believe it was the season after he left that they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. I always get that confused, though. Because that season was like the season where everything had to just go into complete chaos because LSU won the championship with two losses that year. Also, that was right before I started watching football. So basically like everything before, like, I don't know, like the 2007 Patriots, 2007 Vikings. Yeah. It's like, See, that was the, that was the 07 LSU Tigers. <laughs> so there you go. That was the 07 LSU Tigers. But we're going to... Revert back to modern day, where for our final SEC matchup, we have Liberty versus Ole Miss. Liberty is a solid team. They don't really have a whole lot of strength as far as their schedule is concerned, but they've got Hugh Freeze behind them. They've got seven wins. So, hey, if there was a team to upset the shit out of Ole Miss, you got to think that Liberty's going to be that team, right? Yeah, and I think Hugh Freeze... I will say, from a sheer cynical entertainment perspective, Hugh Freeze, going back to Ole Miss, any game, any time, I'm in. No matter what. It's on SEC Network. I think it's a noon game. I'm tuning in to as many seconds of this as I can watch. But this game puts me in a mental pretzel, Zach. Let me let me tell you. Like, I want to – you think, like, okay, Ole Miss is playing Liberty. I'm going to root for Liberty because Ole Miss is, well – Old piss and miss. We we hate him all all time. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Liberty is also the home of the uh, the Jesse Helms School of Government, which I don't know. You may know one of Jesse Helms' famous quotes that says something along the lines of uh, "Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever." And uh, they, yeah, they named a school after that guy. So I don't know. Like, can everyone just lose in this game? Like, I don't want. I don't want anyone to win. I don't want to root for Ole Miss because it's Ole Miss, but I don't want to root for old Jesse Helms School of Government either. Like, it puts me in, like, my mind is boggled here. <laughs> look, look, you're not rooting for the Jesse Helms School of Government. You're rooting for, for Liberty Hugh University <laughs> and Hugh Freeze, Hugh the Freeze, man this who coached the game bed. from a medical bed. On the sideline. On the sideline. That's the best part. He, he had it up in the booth initially, then he came down to the sideline in the hospital bed. I love, fucking love Hugh Freeze. <laughs> Absolute legend. Expect this game to easily be over 80 points. It's going to be a, a fun one, I think. And it might be sneaky good, honestly. Ole Miss may be the most profitable over team in the country. I mean, I think Vegas probably got wise to their little strategy here. So they probably gave them like astronomical yeah. odds, but they've got to hit overs at such a prolific rate. They must have lost Vegas so much money this year. Yeah, I feel like the only time they didn't hit the over was against LSU when it was like a 48-point game. So yeah, I think Tennessee, too. I think yeah, t- Tennessee's true. was set up to like 80, and I think they barely hit 40 or something like that. But for the most part, every game that Ole Miss has been in, everybody can score at all times. It's pretty pretty fun to watch at the very least. So you got some late-night games for you guys, some ones that, hey, maybe it's Betty by time, you know, might not stay up for this, but uh, we might be able to convince you to stay up for these games. First, we've got UTSA versus UTEP, a classic blue-collar miners versus roadrunners matchup. Man versus nature, my friend. Man The big thing nature. here is that UTSA is undefeated and wrongfully not in the top 25 rankings, so 
hopefully they can just smash the miners. And look, if there's one thing I learned from Looney Tunes, it's that Roadrunners are sneaky bastards who can run away from everything. They cannot be tamed, and they will not be tamed by a bunch of dumb miners who probably didn't go to school. Damn, a little little bit of shot a shot across the bow. <laughs> a little bit of a shot across the bow to people without higher education. I still love you, even if Zach doesn't. But I do agree, those miners, they're big and slow, they're dumb, they're big and brawny for the mining. They got all sorts of courage in the world, being in that, that dangerous job. You gotta love the blue-collar workers. But those roadrunners are going to peck the shit out of their crotches, peck the shit out of their knees, run away, until just keep doing that little by little until eventually those miners will be no more. And eventually those roadrunners will be on top at the end. I don't know. Maybe then the playoff committee will love them. Probably not, but Probably hey, not, we're here no. for it. If they didn't love them last week, they won't love them next week. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> for our final game, which I believe is actually at 730, but like, hey, you're going to be watching LSU family. You're not going to be watching this. You've sure. got the fourth-ranked Oregon versus Washington. It's probably not going to be a close game, but, I mean, for Oregon, you got to think every game's a must-win game. The The race for the third and fourth seeds is basically a five-team race, and they are right in the thick of it. And while Washington might not be the best team, they're 4-4 four and four right now, it's still a conference opponent that they have to play basically every year. And, I mean... You just got to reward and to win every game. It's as simple as that if they want to make it. They can't lose any more games. Exactly. The Oregon game, the Ohio State game, and Cincinnati, whoever they play on a given week, those are the three teams to watch Like however they perform. Whoever performs the best on a given week, I think, is going to end up getting that four spot just with the way – just the way it ends up working out with the playoff committee, they a little bit a little bit of recency bias. It's a little, you know part of the human element that makes it makes it interesting. But yeah, Oregon if they want to stay in this spot, they're going to have to beat Washington by forty plus probably. Yeah, very likely. And I mean, you didn't even mention Oklahoma and Wake Forest who are undefeated in their own rights. And while we might not, well, it's because I don't respect Oklahoma, but I, I respect did about Wake I respect Forest, your bad. disrespect. But also, they are undefeated, and if they end That's undefeated, fair. there has to be an argument for them, right? Just as we said, look, there has to be an argument for UTSA yeah. being in the top twenty-five. There has to be an argument for an undefeated Oklahoma to make it in the top four, right? Yeah, that's true. And I think the sad part about that is if Oklahoma goes undefeated and Cincinnati goes undefeated, you know the committee's going to rank Oklahoma Probably. above Cincinnati, right? I mean, it just it hurts, but it is what it is. For what it's worth, if the 2011 season taught me anything, some of you might remember that's the season that was LSU versus Alabama in the playoffs or in the bowl game that effectively said, hey, we probably need to fix this a little bit because SEC is too good. Yep. It's that generally the season will still figure things out. Somebody will lose a game that they shouldn't have lost and things will mostly sort itself out. So we're kind of hoping that Ohio State and the Big Ten in general fucks things up and Oklahoma and Wake Forest fuck things up. The thing is, like, at least two of those top six teams right now will not be anywhere close to there by the end of the season. You can almost guarantee it. It happens pretty much every year where at least one or two of those teams just drops off the face of the earth when it's all said and done. I mean, it's... At this point, it's all, it's all basically fanfare, but it's really fun fanfare. Let me tell you that much. We're going to go ahead and start wrapping things up as we're done with football at this point. And we're going to move on to the World Series where we reached a promise land, Caleb. Yes. Atlanta Braves, they won game six. Let's go. Everybody was hating on the chop. Everyone was hating on the team. Still hate on the chop. Could still hate on the chop. <laughs> okay, for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure that the the Braves tribe has actually given them their endorsement to use the name, which is why it's not actually racist. The chop, 
I mean, you can go one way or the other. Personally, I don't necessarily see anything wrong, but I'm also not the party that would be offended by it. So I'll, it doesn't really matter what my yeah, opinion is. Fair. Regardless, the baseball team yeah, literally won the baseball in game team. Six. The baseball team. Yeah. I don't care about any of the outside shit. The yeah. baseball team. <laughs> they won in a classic fashion that went exactly as the first five games went. It was dongers from the start and dongers to the finish. They had a three-run donger to start the third inning by Jorge Soler. Dansby Swanson and Freddie Freeman also had homers. And I did not expect it to be this much of a blowout, but the Braves ended up winning 7-0. to zero. And look, we got to give props to Jorge Soler. I posted the stats in case you'd like to look at them, but he won the World Series MVP, and rightfully so, as he just was on a complete other level in this entire series. Honestly, for the the cardiac health of everyone in the area of Atlanta, anyone who roots for the Braves, I'm glad that they didn't make this a close game. Like you knew from the very early parts of this one when they jumped out to a big lead that they were probably going to win this one. So, I mean, congrats to Atlanta for winning a major sports championship. I mean, maybe this will open the floodgates for them. You never know. I mean, Boston, they stopped the drought way back when, and they've never stopped winning championships since. So, hey, maybe it'll be like that here, but it's also Atlanta, so... Your next yeah. best hope is the uh, the Falcons. So good luck with that. We'll see. <laughs> that was well. Shit, they got the Hawks. Oh yeah, I mean the Hawks are pretty good. But here's the yeah. thing. Here's the thing. Gonna, they gonna, got deep. Gonna derail a little bit. Talk about the Hawks a little bit. But I don't think Trey Young is the type of player that you can win a championship with. He doesn't play enough defense. He shoots the lights out of the ball, but he does not play any defense at all. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the Atlanta Hawks and why they might be the first. 82 win team next year. Trey Young's going to take a shit in the middle of the floor and they're still going to win, dude. That's all they do. I feel like there's rules against that, but nah. we're going to move on. We're going to, we're going to wrap things up with a bow and send you all home with an article. I mean, this has been raving on Twitter when we had first read about this. It was absolutely insane, but um, basically a Texas special team the like university of texas special teams coach was dating a stripper whose stage name was the pole assassin which firstly look i'm going to a strip club what a name i want to have like a lady named the pole assassin Dude, what a I'm name like, i'm scared she's gonna like castrate me or something right? no no like, no hold on hold on i would pay extra for a stripper named pole assassin that's the greatest stripper name of all time you can't dude, i'm scared she's gonna castrate me though <laughs> what a name though pole assassin dude i any really any story no I daisy knew this was, no cinnamon i knew no this was i knew this barbecue. was gonna make it in the playoffs when when you could use in the context of sports pole assassin as a proper noun i knew this had to go into the podcast dude but continue right. To make things even better, Pole Assassin has a monkey named, I believe, Gia or Gia, something like yeah, that. Yeah, Gia, yes, I think. Uh, Gia, who she uses as her emotional support monkey as part of her performance. Um, I I don't know. I feel like she's probably got bigger <laughs> problems than that. I mean, I feel like look, the no disrespect, but strippers tend to be a little you know, out there a little bit. And like having a monkey is just like a big indicator of that. Yeah. And the, the thing is, like, I feel like the monkey probably needs a little bit more emotional support after having to witness all of that than she does after performing, you know? Like, I don't think the monkey wanted to, to see that. Is that sexual assault at that point? I mean, like, we're getting a little bit deep here, but the monkey didn't want to watch you strip at buck-ass naked. No, the monkey's stripping with her. I mean, that's pretty, 
it's pretty wild. I don't know yeah. what people are into nowadays, but hey, whatever makes you come, right? But uh, yeah, what, I guess so. <laughs> what was the point of the story? Just pole assassin. But just <laughs> to to continue with the story, though, pole assassin decided she was going to host a haunted house at in her backyard, which is always a very sketchy thing. Like you've got to have a really fucking big yard for that, right? And turns out a little kid had wandered into her backyard and found the cage where Gia was being held. Um, supposedly there were signs and balloons guarding and like there were all sorts of measures taken. But look, what ended up happening is this kid got bit by the monkey. And I have to say, I feel like there's a lot of slander on this monkey. I feel like the monkey was just fending for itself, you know? It's probably got some PTSD from people touching it and you know like you're not supposed to touch strippers right you let them do their thing and this kid wanted to touch the monkey so the monkey just bit back literally yeah i mean it's traumatized from seeing all that ass it's been seeing all this time i mean it's just trying to like stay in its little corner and contemplate life but at the end of the day a kid comes around and i mean you see a small child you just want to bite it i get it i get it i understand what the way it is but you can't be biting children monkey you can't be biting children gia pole assassin wouldn't like it okay pole assassin does not approve of this behavior okay but there's just a lot going on in this story right like the the reason i love this so much is like it's like a sitcom episode right like there's so many elements like it's a it's a texas special teams coordinator kind of like an an off-color coach apparently he's like really up there as far as special teams coordinators are concerned though because he was at alabama for a while he's at alabama I guess Texas poached him, so they paid him all sorts of money. So they got a nice, a nice house. He left his wife for a stripper named Pole Assassin, who owns a monkey. The monkey, the monkey lives in the house with them, and somehow they thought it would be a, a bright idea to just have people over for a haunted house where there were kids involved. Like, yeah, everyone, come on inside the house. Let's go inside. You're not, we're not going to kidnap you or just like leave you in here to die or anything. No, just come on inside. We won't have monkeys on you or anything. I think that for next Halloween, Caleb, we have to dress up as Pole Assassin and Gia. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> pole Assassin and Gia. Who's going to be Pole Assassin? Who has the bigger titties? Is that me? Uh, I don't know, man. We're, we're going to have to do a side-by-side comparison. Well, here's the thing. If we put anything in a push-up bra, it's going to look okay, right? Like, I mean, that's right, the right. that's the big secret. I mean, that, we can always women... stuff it. I mean, that is true. That is true. But everyone can tell when you stuff it. I mean, it's not just not the same. Just look, stay tuned for our next podcast where we uh, finish this debate and let y'all know who will be the true pole assassin and who will play as the and monkey. And on behalf of pole assassin and Gia, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Unqualified Analysis. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't, just go away. We don't want you here, obviously. I mean, you don't want to be here, so just go away after you leave a five-star rating for us, you cute boy. Uh... We put out episodes twice a week, NFL on Tuesdays, college football on Thursdays through the end of the college football season as the committee joins the party here a little bit. Follow us on Twitter where we, I mean, tweet every once in a while at Caleb Verzak, at Zachary W. Mullen. Links will be in the description so you don't got to spell those names at all. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, we have no idea what we're talking about. Have a good weekend, everybody. You guys deserve it.